2: Hear stories from local brewers and distillers from the New Jersey Sip and See Trail on episode 647 of Beer Sessions Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Welcome to Processing, a show about the intersection of food and grief. With me, your host, Zara Tengora, and my lovely, amazing, wonderful mother, Bobby, who is not here for the intro, but man, do we have a wonderful episode today for you guys. Um to this week we're welcoming uh Erica Hill. Um Erica is the owner of Sparrow, which is a contemporary funeral home in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, and they are currently planning to uh, expand. And it's such a wonderful um beautiful idea for um, just kind of how to reimagine um, the funeral home, which is something I think we've all had a very kind of specific idea of and they are largely um, quite similar. So it was really interesting to talk to Erica about her reasons for starting Sparrow, her experiences with loss, which have been very profound and, uh, her take on the death care industry. So we had a great talk with Erica. It was so beautiful. Thank you so much, Erica, for your time. Uh, it's wonderful to be back with you all this week. Uh, as always, if you have a story you'd like to share on the show, please send us The easiest way is a direct message on Instagram at processing underscore podcast, or you can send us an email at processing at heritageradionetwork.org. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to have you on the show. Uh, So without any further ado, please enjoy our episode with Erica. Thanks. Take care of yourselves and each other. Well, what an amazing episode we have for you guys today. Uh, I have really been looking forward to speaking with our guest today for a couple of weeks now, and uh, I'm so glad we got connected. Today, we are speaking with Erica Hill, and Erica started an incredible business. It is a kind of modern funeral home in Greenpoint called Sparrow. Erica, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah. welcome. It's great to have you here. Um, so, I mean, this is just such a really wonderful concept. And when we were connected, I like when Frank uh, from HRN had mentioned that you two were close. I was like, this is, would be such a great uh, person to have on processing because, you know, one of the reasons that we started this show was to disarm kind of the you know, some of the fear and some of the, uh, kind of traditions, the very sta- uh, kind of stoic traditions surrounding death and afterlife and grief and all that. And it seems like that uh, with what you're doing at Sparrow, that's kind of on the same, same tip. Is that, is that accurate?
3: Yeah. Sparrow comes from very much the same place and from my own personal experience and losing a lot of peers through my life and feeling like, especially when it's a younger person, um, going to funerals that felt like it didn't represent who they were at all. And why didn't something like that exist where outside of sort of the more traditional stuff, why wasn't there a place that you could go and honor someone in the way that felt right to you, whatever really that meant. Right. Um, So it's sort of from the same place. And I think like you mentioned, we don't, in this society, we don't talk about death or grief or any of that so much it's sort of hidden away behind a door and no one wants to think about it or talk about it and my hope with sparrow is that we can bring it a little more into just daily life so it doesn't feel so overwhelming Mm. um, and scary
1: it's really incredible and it was interesting when you just mentioned that like it doesn't feel like the funerals and um that you had gone to growing up or, you know, that we've all been to at one point or another in the very kind of traditional way, like didn't feel like it represented the person. And it's just kind of struck me like it's the funeral home, like the tradition of classic, classical, like whatever funeral homes, as we know them, it's their vision, right? It's so specific. In no way does it really Mm -hmm. has in, in any way that I've experienced, has it ever felt like there's any personality to it? You know what I mean? It's like, not only like that funeral homes vision, but it's like, seems to be traditionally like the same across the board, you know?
3: Yeah. And I equate it to sort of what the wedding industry was like, you know, 20, 30 yeah. years ago, um, where you, people decided where they were going to get married almost based on like who had the best menu. Right. Um, and I think with the funeral home business, it just it's worked as it's worked for a very, very long time. And, you know, it didn't need, no one needed to felt like it needed to change. And, you know, with Sparrow, it's, we do a lot of traditional stuff. Don't get mm. me wrong, but even within the traditional funerals that we have, the feedback that we get from the families is always, I feel better just standing in here. So, mm. you know, you know, meeting people where they are, like what emotionally, what their rituals are, what their customs are, what their values are, and like in every sense of that word. So, Mm. you know, even if it's traditional, you're in a space that feels more like it's comforting. Right. Um, And there's no one size fits all. It very much is what's important to you. And that can look like a lot of different things depending on the families. I love that. You know, when I was
4: trained as a social worker, you know, social workers are trained to meet people where they're at. And I had this wonderful teacher that was on the staff of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, and we were doing home visits. And he would teach me that you have to change your size to fit in somebody else's door. And I think Zara's mm. point was so good that people are so used to changing them to fit into the door of the funeral home. And you're saying, you know, we want to know who you are so that we can, you know, make something that represents you. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah.
3: Thank you. And I just think it's important. I know for myself, it would have changed a little bit how I was able to process grief over people I've lost. And I hope that with the families that we work with, that they feel the same way, that the experience, um, while obviously incredibly sad, and you know, there's so many range of emotions when somebody dies, but that at least this piece of it, whatever they remember of it is positive And they remember being in a space that comforted them and where they felt supported and where they felt seen you know and that their family was really heard and um and respected
1: that's a huge thing feeling seen so you know I'm I'm really curious um because this is such a unique thing to do and it's such a special thing to do and I think it takes someone with a very certain kind of special disposition um can you take us back I guess to what kind of what was your family life like what was it what was like growing up where are you from what were your parents like
3: Um, well, I was adopted and, um, I, I was born and adopted in LA and lived there until I was 12. Um, I was adopted through a Jewish adoption agency, even though I'm by birth, not Jewish. So I was raised in a culturally Jewish home, um, pretty liberal household, I would say progressive. Um, and you know, my dad was a newspaper guy journalist my mom used to be a teacher and then was just not just but then she was a stay-at-home mom um and then when i was 12 my parents really wanted to leave la and my dad had grown up in new york city on the upper west side and um he had gone to summer camp like a lot of jewish kids in new york city do Mm -hmm. from age like five to 18 in vermont and his own words, those were the happiest days of his childhood. So he decided that we need to move to New England and they picked Portland, Maine, and it's long before Google. (laughs) So literally it was a map and they just decided he wanted to open a bookstore. So we drove to Maine. Um, I lived in Maine till I was 18. And um, that was a very different experience for sure than L.A., And then since, you know, then I went to college and then I landed in New York City and I've been here ever since. Um, but you know, I grew up in a household where my, especially my mom, like my friends loved coming to my house because my mom was super interested in who they were as people and would talk to them, like their opinions mattered and, um, just my mom was just very curious about the world. And my mom had um, overwhelming OCD and anxiety and couldn't really function in the world like we would so much. And I think so part of it was, um, you know, finding out, learning about other people helped her feel like she was still participating, you know, mm-hmm. in a in a bigger way than she was. Um, so, but I think I, I learned a lot about... Um, compassion and empathy through i'm going to cry but through her mm. uh-huh. um yeah i
1: mean and it, it really seems to make sense there's such a direct line through kind of what how you're explaining your mom and how she was with people and that deep sense of curiosity obviously has carried over to your work now because to to want to offer what you offer to people is to have such a deep sense of empathy and curiosity about you know, who they are and who their loved one was. And I mean, it's, it's makes perfect sense that that's what your mom was like.
3: Yeah. And it's interesting because I, before this, I mean, I worked in retail for a number of years and then I also um, was a director and a producer for, you know, I did everything from commercials, music videos and documentaries and, you know, it, that's storytelling. Like I've always Mm. just really liked people Um, and I say that I'm now still storytelling, but in a whole different way. And, you know, just to be super clear, like I am not a licensed funeral director, so I don't actually, um, deal with the families one-on-one, my funeral directors do. Um, and, but you know, it's, Sparrow is very much my baby. And the idea really is to, um, have, grow Sparrow across the country. So we're, um... Hopefully moving opening in L.A. in the next six months or so and, you know, really provide the same idea in not just Brooklyn specific. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But it feels good. You know, I've also I've been sober for a very, very long time. And, you know, part of sobriety is, you know, being of service to others. And I feel like that's another, um, you know, having a funeral home. Is being of service to others in a very real way. (laughs) It really
1: is. It really, really is. And, you know, you had mentioned to us kind of before when we chatted before the show um, that you had had a couple of really intense losses as a young person and then continuing through your life. And how did some of these experiences influence your decision to open Sparrow?
3: Um, I think overall it's the coming away from those um, experiences feeling, like I said earlier, that. The people maybe weren't really celebrated in a way that reflected yeah. them, and um, and and I understand why. In many cases, you know, families when something like this happens, especially unexpectedly when it's a young person, families don't really know what to do, and so they, even if maybe they weren't religious, they just turn back to what they knew growing up, which mm. means maybe a traditional church or temple, um, and. So I understand that, but just always, I think, especially when my friend Manny died, um, like his mom, you know, said to me, "I know he would have hated this, but I, f- it's what I felt like I had to do because she mm-hmm. was Irish Catholic, and so you know, she, we, there was a huge." church funeral and but the day before that there was the two traditional two viewings during the day which I had never been to a viewing in my life mm. um until that and um she's right he would have hated, would have totally hated it but I understand yeah. why she did it and it came from a really good place so it wasn't like um it felt wrong or bad but you know I think even like in the case of that if somehow, somewhere you could have incorporated more of, you know, who he was. Um, and then with, you know, it's just a lot of loss, I guess. And then, you know, um, I've had another friend die and his brother said to me, I know, you know, apologized again, like he would have hated this. Like I've had three families say that to me, other people that I know. Mm. Um, and, you know, part of it is too, even bigger than just providing something different is trying to get people to talk about death at an earlier age so that when some, if God forbid somebody dies at an age, that's not, you know, sort of cycle of life death, um, that the family knows what they wanted. So I, you know, I've seen that in my personal life. And then I've seen it here with Sparrow where a younger person dies, the family of didn't ever talk about it, has no idea. And then, you know, it's fair. we've had a few cases, families, where they're fighting over what their loved one would have wanted. And it's so, um, it's just really sad to watch because you know they're all coming from a really loving place, but they don't agree. And then the person, their loved one is just, in our care until they can make decisions. And I think there's a lot of guilt around like, did we do the right thing? Or is this what they wouldn't have wanted? So again, like encouraging people when they're younger, like as young adults, even making sure that people in their lives know really if something happens to me, I would like to be cremated or I want to be buried or I want a church service or I want to um, be turned into soil or, you know, whatever it looks like. Just even if like I say, just have the light um, superficial conversations, you know, it doesn't have to be a deep, heavy thing. Um, just so there's some roadmap and, you know, we're going to, we're starting to work on, um, planning tools that provide that, that doesn't need to go deep dive into like, what's your insurance policy number, but more like, again, like how you might plan a wedding or a party or any kind of sort of event. Um, you know, these are the photos I love of myself or, you know, if you want to go that deep, but just even the basic stuff of, you know don't cremate me. I hate the idea of that I want a grain burial, like whatever it is. Um, So, you know, those conversations, I think, need to become part of our much more part of our daily lives. I agree. What are some ways that you encourage that? How do you do that with Sparrow? Well, we have started doing um, something that we call, I always get the name wrong, but like death decision, decisions, death and dessert or something like that. But they're basically they're <laughs> little events that people come to. It tends to be younger people. And we have a slideshow of different things from like what a green burial looks like to, you know, just all sorts of stuff that spark conversation and people can, um, almost like, uh, a vision board their funeral Mm -hmm. but it's just a way to keep them busy and less uncomfortable you know talking about it and the conversations are fascinating and it's everything from one one of them we ended up talking a lot about potter's field Mm. and um everyone there ended up deciding when we can when we can we'd all like to go on a field trip to understanding really what a green burial is and that it's not some out there sort of concept and um, that you can't have a Viking funeral. It's not allowed in the U.S. unless you <laughs> live in this one town in Colorado. But it's just an access, it's an easy access point. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's snacks and some pretty desserts and things. And then we also, at Sparrow, we also have a shop with a street-facing entrance. And, um, you know, a lot of, it just looks like a pretty gift shop except we do have a lot of vessels that are urns but you could buy them for to use as something else. But again, like that's a way for people. We have plenty of people who come in in the neighborhood and just want to buy candles or whatnot, but mm-hmm. also, you know, I've worked a lot in it and it's I've ended up in a lot of conversations about death, dying, grief. Um, and, you know, again, it's an easier access because you're just in a pretty shop that looks good and smells good. And then, if you're so inclined, you can start talking about death. And like I said, we're also working on, um, like, uh, I guess an app you'd call it with planning tools that are more of the superficial stuff of, um, to leave a roadmap for your family that you can continue to update as you know, your life changes and your wishes change.
1: Totally. It's great. It's, I have a small, funny, personal antidote to, uh, Uh, insert here is that when my father was dying, he had had cancer for like 20 years, I'm sorry, 10 years. And, um, he was kind of at the very end in the hospital and he hadn't signed his will. And so I was like, okay, well, I'd never even looked at your will. I don't even know anything. I didn't really know what you want or anything. So I'm looking through it as the notary is about to arrive and and the witnesses are about to arrive. And it says on this one page said he's leaving. My dad was, he had like no family. I was his only child. He wasn't married. He lived all alone, kind of a hermit guy. And it said he wanted to leave his ashes to a coworker that he worked with 25 years before. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> what? I was like, what is this page? And I've written about this and I've talked about this a lot. I'm like, what are you talking about? You're leaving your ashes to this man. He's going to be so confused. He's like, he called me every year on my birthday. I was like, but I'm your daughter. And he's like, I thought you would think it was gross. I was like, what? I was like, you're (laughs) going to sit on his coffee table? He barely knows you. He's like, I want him to take me out to Robert Moses and sprinkle me. And I was like, sprinkle you? (laughs) Like, it was just such a confusing, but it's funny and, and wild as a story, but actually like, I was so hurt Right. Like I was so hurt and so surprised and so like truly devastated. It just brought up so much stuff for me. And had would we been able to have this kind of conversation prior had the, you know, conversation itself not been so sad and uncomfortable and like, you know, this wasn't some surprise. He had had cancer for 10 years. Right. Right. Uh, this moment could have been so different, right? Like even if I found out he wanted to give the ashes to this random person, (laughs) I would have been able to deal with it in a time where I wasn't already so like stretched thin because he was dying and because of that, everything that entailed, you know? So I think it's so incredibly smart and, and brave. Right. And like, you know, I think we are all so much braver than we think we are. And I think like when death happens, when grief happens, when loss happens, like in our brains before that happens, I think we imagine that as completely impossible. And when it happens, you move through it and it is painful and it is sometimes funny in parts and sometimes sweet in parts. But I think like this kind of imagination that it's so unthinkably, like you can't get through it prevents us from being able to talk about it and in preventing us from talking about it. We're like left, as you said, kind of without a roadmap when it eventually happens. And so I think, you know, what you're doing is like so smart and encouraging other people to be braver on grief and loss is really important.
3: Um, I have a question though, where, who got your dad's ashes.
1: I did. Okay. I ripped the page. <laughs> I ripped the page of the will up. I was like, we are not notarizing this page. And then I was like, I'm going to sprinkle you in the parking lot of the Wollemen Mall, <laughs> there which go. is just like a random mall near the house. But I didn't actually. So I got the ashes and then I took them in a big box and I, my mom and I went out to Robert Moses Beach and I just kind of you know, I've seen things in movies and the tropes of opening up the ashes and they blow all over you. So I'm like, I'm just going to throw this whole box into the ocean. And then I guess my name and phone number or Bobby's address, for some reason, they weren't married, was in there. His name was on there on the box. His name and I guess Bobby's address. And the police came to her house. I guess the box washed up on shore. Somebody (laughs) called (laughs) <laughs> called the police he returned just just fucking with me i was working it's with a, a client story. and the policeman
4: walked up with the box filled with sand and ashes wet oh ashes. my
3: god i was like and this he said, guy. this is
4: against the law for you to do this but i'm being kind and i will bring it back for you you know and so we ended oh. up having another <laughs>
1: beautiful service that uh, yeah
3: that's control. incredible I love that. I kind of love that, though.
1: (laughs) I do too. It's great. I've written a a short film about this this experience because it's just so funny. But this happens to people, right? Like, do you experience these kinds of like strange, almost funny but sad, sweet
3: experiences with people? Um, I mean, not so much like that. Like that's that's a whole (laughs) that's sort of next level. It's extreme. Yeah, I mean, listen, I when. I took over the space where we are. There were 30 plus um, containers of ashes that people had just never retrieved from, you know, Mm. so it was a funeral home before. It's always, it's been a funeral home since the 40s. Um, And so we have ashes dating back to the 60s.
1: Wow. Oh my gosh. That is so amazing. It's just like, when you said that, it just feels like a space that's so rich with stories and kind of... And it just makes me feel so curious. I hear a lot of those stories as a
4: bereavement specialist. I always ask people, you know, what happened? Did they have a funeral? Was it cremation? Where are the ashes? How do they treat them? And, you know, people have told me, you know, their brother is riding around in the backseat of their car for the last two years. And, Mm. you know, some people hide it so far away. They they hide it. They can barely find it. Other people leave it so close to their hearts. And people carry it around their hearts. I mean, there's just so many different ways that people treat it. And it's an important aspect of grief that I want to understand.
3: For sure. I mean, I have a friend and her dad died um, probably about 10 years ago now. And she has some of his ashes, like her mom kept some. She has some and she takes a little bit of him in a baggie with her wherever she goes when she travels like to places and sprinkles him. You know, my dad, when my mom died in 20... 15. Um, she was diagnosed with lung cancer. Thank you. And um, she was given two weeks to live. And essentially, that's what happened. For her, it was perfect, because mm. she couldn't have handled treatment and all that. But um, um, and she wanted to die at home, which she did. But my dad while she was dying, my dad was like, um, she told me what she wanted done with her ashes. And um, which was to essentially save them until my father died. So my dad kept them. And then once he had died, she wanted me to, uh, I have a property in upstate New York. And she's like, I'd love to, for you to bury them there since I have really fond memories of you know spending time there with you. And my dad was like, well, have you seen um, the bucket list? And I said, no. And he goes, well, this isn't going to resonate with you. But anyway, put me in a chock full of nuts coffee can. and I was like all right whatever and um so then my dad was dying and um this he died in September of last year and he said that again and Mm -hmm. he wanted but he wanted some of his ashes sprinkled at the lake where the camp that he went to every summer and then some Mm -hmm. with my mom but I didn't um I couldn't put him in a coffee can I felt really weird about that but I asked this woman who's an artist to make a ceramic chock full of nuts coffee can (laughs) almost like awesome and so she did sort of her version of it and it's amazing and she asked me a lot of questions about my dad and my dad loved the Brooklyn I mean loved the Dodgers since they were the Brooklyn Mm. Dodgers so like she incorporated that into the can and it's awesome it's amazing so he's in right over there and part of him's in there and then i have to still i haven't gone and sprinkled him yet but um Mm.
1: you know it's beautiful you know we're
4: talking about it being personalized and, and that's what you were saying before and i was thinking the other experience i grew up jewish myself and the first time i went to awake i was horrified i was so scared i was so terrified at seeing the body which i had never no, now I look at it very differently. But at first, you know, seeing the body, the smell in the funeral home, mm. um, the, it was like frozen. That's the best experience way I can describe mm. the experience. It felt like a frozen experience. But when you bring warmth and personality and stories, um, the real life of a person, it just takes away that frozen. It melts. And, and there can be humor, mm. as you were saying before, Zara. There can be, you know, I, I, mean, I laugh with my clients all the time about the bad death. You know, we have all well,
3: because that's, I mean, I think once you've experienced death and, and grief, you realize it's not a, sure. I mean, you can be overwhelmingly sad and, um, and it just be an overwhelming experience, but it's like a roller coaster, right? So it's like one minute you're hysterically crying. Like I could cry about my mom still, but I also can laugh. And even in the the worst of it when it you know when it's all new and fresh it's that same thing you know because i think you know that to me that's what a whether it's a memorial or a funeral or whatever like that's the whole goal to me is community and being able to come together and remember this person which includes like telling stories about them and mem- having memories and those memories are everything from like the fu- this really funny thing that happened to oh, remember when they were such a jerk or, you know, whatever. It's yeah. like, we're, they're humans. We're human. It's like, it's really all of it. And I think that, um, you know, being able to express that stuff in a, a place that doesn't smell bad, by the way, Bobby, our funeral home <laughs> smells really good. I'm sure. <laughs> um, and that's one of the things like, why does a funeral home always smell really weird? Like yeah. I don't understand. Ours smells good. But anyway, to be able to do all of that together and in a place that feels comforting is like that's you know, that's the whole goal here. And yeah. um, you know, it's so far, you know, every family who's come who's ended up coming to us has, you know, I hear the same thing again and again of like this is this space is so beautiful. I'm so happy that we did this here. Even families that were a little hesitant at first, like it You know, we're, we are situated in a traditionally Polish community and, um, and there's definitely been some of those families who they're much more traditional and we're really hesitant because we look very different who in the end have always left, um, really happy, like and feeling like, you know, it it served their purposes and then some, you know, um, so it's
1: great. I mean, you know, I, it kind of struck me earlier when we were chatting just about how I think there, and tell me if you agree with this with people who you meet, um, that there might be some guilt associated with having a service, or um, funeral that like is joyous in any way. Like that almost the kind of the traditional way that we see funeral homes operate and funerals operate feels like it is honoring the loved one in some kind of somewhat puritanical way in this country we've been, you know, that many people kind of adhere to. Sterile. And that like when when someone dies, that like that kind of textured experience that we're kind of discussing right now um is something to feel guilty about. But like I think the truth of it is exactly what you're saying. There are so many feelings that arise and there are so many important things to like my actually my best friend just like lost their stepmom this week. And, you know, my advice to them was kind of just like, look around and like pay attention because these experiences are important and be open to kind of whatever mood strikes you, you know, or wherever you're at. And it's like all okay. And I wonder, I mean, you're kind of just mentioned it with you talking about how maybe some of the traditional Polish families feel ambivalent about this. But um, do you see that often that people kind of come in feeling like, ambivalent to cel- you know, celebrate. I mean, I guess like the word celebrate feels like important and it's something that's missing from the conversation and, and, funerals.
3: Um, I think I'll say what I see is that, um, I don't know if it's ambivalent. I think that it's, if you grow up in a, in a traditional way where you, um, you know, you're, taught certain customs and traditions and whatnot, I think it's hard sometimes to break out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, we really, I've seen the gamut, to be honest. I've seen, you know, we've had funerals that are traditional that feel full of love and light, and there's everything. There's the humor, there's all of it. We've had um you know, memorials that aren't traditional at all that are probably, you know, encompass everything that, you know, I might want mine to be like. Mm. Um, and then we've had some t- very traditional things that feel very stoic and mm. almost um, uh, not cold, but just feel very, you know, this is how, this is how you mourn. So I think yeah. that it's, to me, it's just more, What you're, you know, again, like kind of what the environment that you've grown up in is and what what you're sort of taught you're supposed to do or not do. Um, But, you know, for the I would say 90 percent, there's a whole gamut of everything. Um, But it's been, you know, it's been fascinating for sure. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Totally. You
1: know, we kind of started off saying that, like, the reason we started this show is kind of to disarm the conversation around grief and for us it's by talking about food right? right and for you like I think you're describing your beautiful storefront and kind of just different like look and different approach to talking about these things is helping to disarm the same conversation but going back to food I mean you had mentioned a couple like that you're not much of a cook in your daily life, but that you have some really strong food memories that remind you of both your mom and dad. So I'd love to hear about that. And then, you know, kind of as a follow-up, I would love to hear a little bit about how food plays a role in, in you know, your clients' lives yeah. and their celebrations of
3: of life. So my growing up, my, you know, my mom, we had very, you know, normal food. My mom wasn't like a huge... She wasn't a gourmet cook by any means, but, um, you know, she was Jewish and there's the thing of you always got to make sure everybody's eaten it. Well, actually she's half, she was half Swedish
2: oh, and wow. half Jewish.
3: Um, but like my mom always, even as an adult, do you want some apple slices and cheese? Like always, like that is such a, my mom thing at any hour of the day. And then she used to call, um what did she call a Jew? She had her, she, my ex-husband, she would always try to get him to eat like a Jewish guy sandwich was basically pastrami and coleslaw. I don't know. (laughs) Um, but my dad later, um, after he retired became a, he loved to cook. Like he just loved to cook and he would make Indian food and, um, uh, he loved Thai food, which he would make one sort of Thai dish, but, You know, for him, uh, he started finding joy in cooking as he got, you know, like started in his sixties, I guess, and that was really fun to watch. And he would just cook for my mom all the time, and um, I don't know. So I for like with them, like my mom, it's it's the apple slices and the cheese. My dad he didn't cook this, but like when I was taking care of him, he'd always want a grilled cheese sandwich. So and French fries. That. Um, but he used to cook, um, uh, really nice, some really nice, um, Indian dishes with couscous and whatnot. So that like that kind of food always makes me think of my dad. Um, but you That's know, sweet. I, it's, I don't know why I don't cook to be perfectly honest because both my parents did. So I'm not quite sure what happened there, but,
1: Mm. (laughs) um, sometimes it skips a generation.
3: (laughs) I don't know. I mean, like I, I, here's the funny thing. I am very capable of cooking. It's not like I'm a bad cook and I actually enjoy baking. I just don't do it. Yeah. Um, a lot, but we um, all
4: focus on different things. We can't do everything.
3: Yeah. You know, a hundred
1: percent. Yeah.
3: You know, I like to make, like if we're having Thanksgiving or something, I, I, I will cook that, you know, the traditional stuff. Yeah. And then like, I always love to make a baked mac and cheese. I guess that's what my kids Yum. would tell you is my, my go-to
1: dish. Ooh, that's a good one. That's delicious. Um, and yeah, and so like, how have you found, if at all, like the experiences with your clients uh, at Sparrow and food, whether it be things that maybe they talk about or they I'm not sure if they bring food in to have a service there, but yeah, I'm just kind of interested to know about that.
3: So, for a long time, you weren't allowed to have food and beverage in a funeral home, and that mm-hmm. those laws changed in the last couple of years. So, um, we have we have plenty of people who don't bring anything. There's no food, and then some families um, will have sort of traditional they'll have it catered and they'll have traditional dishes, whether that's mm-hmm. um we just had a funeral the other day for a woman who just turned forty and so they had a lot of um they chose to have a lot it was a Polish family. They had a lot of Polish desserts. It was all desserts. Mm-hmm. Um and you know some of our memorials they just like finger foods that the people liked. And then we had Mm. one of our memorials, the woman who had died, she loved, um, vegetarian sushi. Oh, wow. And, um, and, and she was, she was Japanese descent. So we had, they had Mm. tons of vegetarian sushi there. So it's been a little bit of everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's interesting
1: what people, like, I remember when my dad died, uh, my first, and he didn't have a lot of friends. He had a handful of people we could invite, and, like, out of that handful, only a couple showed up because it was the Super Bowl that day. Oh, jeez. Yeah, and so, but my instinct, no matter who was going to show up, was that I needed to make lasagna and meatballs and garlic bread and those kind of things.
3: Well, I think, and, you know, comfort food, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, it just it's, it just was such, so instinctual. And I remember Bobby came down to meet me and help me out with some stuff and we went and drank manhattans and had that whole experience because he loved manhattans so yeah there's just some things that just feel good and then we've also spoken to so many people about kind of you know the food and grief experience where the things that their loved one loved or that they ate together like they can't have you know Not what too i mean hard
4: you know we talk about the bittersweet experience you know that yeah i mean feels- I- yeah
3: I don't have that. I think, you know, like I, again, growing up, like I love a good bagel, lox and capers. Like that's my, yeah. my parent, you know what I mean? Like I think any sort of um, what would be considered a, a, culturally Jewish food is, makes me think of my family very much. Well,
4: it's part of the process. Like it can be really hurt in the beginning and then later on it can be of comfort. It could be of comfort to feel like you're memorializing them, or it can be of comfort to you personally. So there's just so many ways, you know, Zara mentioned before um, th- that our way of the show is about an easy access to talk about our grief through food, as yep. yours is a, a different kind of uh, easy access to talk about death. Um, you know, one thing I wanted to bring up is that I was really loved your website on many levels. Thank you. Um, I want you to tell us more about the exit parties, because that's something that a lot of people may mm. not know about and I think is important. And also about the Q&A, because I thought the questions that were posed in that section were so interesting. So please tell us more about that.
3: So an exit party um, that came about from a young I used to have a shop in the Catskills and a young woman that worked for us um, when she was in high school Um, her name is Michelle McNaught. She ended up being diagnosed with ovarian cancer just before her 20th birthday. And then she died a few weeks after her 21st birthday. So she had it for about a year. She was an artist. She was going to SUNY Purchase, um, when she got her diagnosis for art and, um, she was being treated at Sloan Kettering. So I would go up and visit her and, um, one day I was there and she brought in her portfolio to show one of her doctors. And I had seen her work before she, you know, when she was in high school and it was, um, she was really talented, but was very sort of whimsical and light and sweet, I guess, would be the best way. And then she opened up this portfolio and she was doing all these woodcuts and they were self portraits of herself and with sort of a headband with the had the name of the different cancer drugs that she was taking. And they were, amazing i was blown away and she brought it because she wanted to give one to one of her doctors so cut to she the adult version of make a wish had come by i asked her what she had asked for and she said oh a new wig and that just didn't seem to me didn't seem big enough um and so i i anyway long and short of it my own version of make a wish for her is I organized with the help of people in the upstate community. I organized a show of her work here in the city, um, at a gallery. Um, one of the people in that community upstate had a gallery at the time here in the city. And so, um, we organized all of that and then she was getting sicker and sicker. So she couldn't, we had to fly her down in a helicopter, but, um, There were about a thousand people who came. We made a book of her work that she wrote an intro to, as well as um, uh, the art critic for the New Yorker, who's part of our upstate community. Like everyone just really came together to celebrate her. And at the show, it was all her college friends, her family, the upstate community, people who didn't even know her, who like maybe knew us who came. And um, it was incredible, like truly, truly incredible. And that was on a Wednesday or Thursday. And then Saturday night, I went to her house upstate. And um, all she wanted to talk about was the all the people that had come and everyone she got to see and the book and all of this. And she died the next morning. Mm. And I realized, like when I was working on Sparrow, I realized that what I had done for Michelle essentially was to give her, throw her a party before she died, right? Like a funeral before yeah. she died. And that she died truly knowing that how much she was loved and how much she was seen. And for all of us, we are left with this beautiful memory. And I think a lot of times and when people are sick, uh, people on the outside don't really, you know, there's some who can show up like they're capable of that. But for a lot of people, it's just really hard. They're afraid they're not going to say the right thing or do the right thing and too sad like whatever so they can't go to the hospital they don't go to the house they just sort of drop off and then you're left with like oh too bad with what happened to michelle like you know whatever you know what i mean and and i feel like um so by offering a space and a place for people who are terminally ill to celebrate and essentially have their funeral before they die i think it's i have seen firsthand how much it meant to her. And I think for others, it's a way to be able to come see that person and let them know that you love them. It doesn't feel, it's not one-on-one, so it's not as intimidating. I know there's another man that I used to work with and he had ALS and he had moved out of the city, but he came back and he had a little, he was an artist too, ironically, but he had a little gallery show and I went and he couldn't talk and his, um, the machine that lets you talk with your eyes hadn't been brought up yet. So, and I couldn't stay that long, but I was able to just like go over, smile, hold his hand. And then I had to go, but I thought, you know, even that, like I just was able to show up for him for 10 minutes or whatever it was. Yeah. And I think that's, it's important. It's hard. It's not, it's not an easy thing to do. So by offering, you know, what we're calling an exit party, which is actually inspired by one of the pieces Michelle did. Um, mm it's uh you know just again holding space for people who are interested in that um yeah we haven't had anyone have one yet which i really Mm. um i would love for somebody to want to do that yeah (laughs) Um, it's beautiful anyway um but yeah so that's what an exit party is and then the um the q a Which you guys should both do, actually. I'll send the questions to you. Um, Awesome. It's very much, again, a way to have just regular people think and talk about what they might want. And so that maybe, so other people can read it and hopefully, again, maybe get them to think about it and talk to their friends. And it's not, they're not easy questions to answer and people don't have to answer all of them. But it's just sort of, you know, we live in a society, we celebrate everything, right? Everything. Yes. But then there's this one thing that's going to happen to every single one of us that people don't want to talk about and don't want to, you know, why shouldn't we celebrate quite honestly? Like why shouldn't we celebrate everybody's life? You know, who somebody, everybody who dies, like we've all lived these incredible, fascinating lives. Like I'm of the belief that everybody has a story to tell no matter how sort of if you were to characterize their life just generally as mundane and normal and whatever though, you know, there's still stories in there, right. About somebody, you know, they, maybe they're an incredibly kind person or they love to sing or, you know, whatever it is. So, you know, to me, and when I say celebrate, I don't mean it has to be like a party, but just I was thinking key. about that word. What celebrate means?
4: It's such a deep word because it means so many different things. It, you know, absolutely, honoring. yeah. It
1: doesn't have to mean a yeah. party, exactly, yeah. it, or it could. But celebrating, right? It's just about memorializing in whatever way seems fit. But just right. on, and like honoring, like deep honoring. Right.
4: Think about the word celebrant. You know, the, the person who's a celebrant. Right.
3: Right. Yeah. I mean, that, mm-hmm. yeah, we have, cel- yeah. you know, we have celebrants in the funeral business. Um, Mm. and so again, it's just like really taking a moment, you know, at the the beginning you were talking about Zara, about how you feel like funeral homes, it's just sort of, they don't, I don't know how you put it, but basically it's one size fits all. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. But if you're truly celebrating somebody, it, you know, it could be as simple as the music, you know for some people truly even at sparrow it's as simple as the music that we play totally is the kind of music that that person loved and maybe that's the only thing about the funeral that's sort of different or unique but that's okay right. that's one that's something that truly represented that person like
1: absolutely you know.
3: yeah and to be able to have
1: what i think what um you're doing that's so cool is that your space and your ethos seems to be malleable and tailored to the person. I guess what I was trying to say in the beginning is that these spaces that we have all, you know, kind of have as the, um, you know, the idea of what a traditional funeral home looks like are not, they're very fixed. Like they're not, they're not malleable. They're not, you know, kind of one day it can feel like this. And one day the air in the room can be this thick and the other day can be this thick. And and another day there can be this energy. Like there seems to be kind of like one energy fits all. And that's so opposite from what people need and deserve, I think in this time.
3: Um, And then also like my, my funeral directors, like they come from, um, a funeral home that had a very, very high level of service. So like, that's the mm. other thing is like our, it's incredibly important to us that our service is, it's the same for everybody. It's not based on like, if this person has this much money and this person has this, this much money, you get different kind of service. Like we believe right. in really, um, supporting our families from everything from, you know, we wash the bodies when they come, whether it's a direct cremation or a full blown open casket viewing. Like it's really Mm. treating the people who come into our care as we would treat our loved ones. Um, so, you know, we do, we, we try not to, um, like a lot of funeral homes don't keep the people they take in their care on site. There's others with, it's like a trade industry and they're kept somewhere else until the day of the funeral. Like we bring everybody into our care. They're with us. And that's a
1: beautiful way of putting it. Um, So as we near the end of the show, which I can't believe is almost (laughs) ending because this, we can sit and talk to you for like another six hours, I'm sure. Um, But we kind of ask everyone the same question, which I would like to maybe like tailored to you a little bit to be about Sparrow, but we usually ask people at the beginning of this grief experience, you know, if you could tell yourself one thing at the beginning of this experience and give yourself one piece of advice, what could it be? Which certainly if, you know, you'd like to answer that in terms of your own grief for sure. But I'm also curious because, you know, starting a business, you learn so much as you do it. And especially in this, like interacting with so many people and so much, you know, just all these different kind of things, these working parts, like, you know, either way, like if you're going to look at it as your own grief experience, your own experience with other people's grief in your business, I'd just be so curious if you could give, what advice would you give to your younger self starting at any of these points?
3: Um, I actually think it's something that you said earlier, Zara, about speaking to your, um, friend who just lost her stepmother about being open. Mm
2: -hmm. I think
3: that, um, whether it's starting a business or, Go, moving through my own grief. It's, um, a combination, I guess, of being open to my own emotions, of being open to my feelings and then not being afraid to ask for help. Mm. You know, that's a, yeah. that's a big one, whether it's, you know, help in my grief from a friend or from a professional or help in my business from somebody who might know more than me or when I'm, you know, feeling really overwhelmed, you know what I mean? Like, it's just really, yeah, yeah. Um, to me, that's what's gotten me through all of it. It's just, um, you know, and and I'd like to say with grief though, really, truly, like that never goes away. Like you will always grieve and miss and mourn the loss of people that you love. And again, being open to allowing those feelings to come up again and not being embarrassed about them or feeling like you shouldn't be having them because I don't scared of them. They're scared of them. Like, I don't think there's any right way to grieve. We all grieve differently. And, you know, I, like my friend, Manny, he died 30 years ago. Like I can still not 30, sorry, 25 years ago. I can Mm. still, or I do still cry sometimes about him no longer being here, you know? And it's like,
4: right. Thank goodness that you can
3: do that. And it's and, you know, and I don't think there's anything wrong with me, you know. Of course, not. it's not like at all. that's that's the love, that's the the loss, yeah. right? And so just allow yeah. being open to allow all of that to happen and, and as you said, Bobby, like not being scared of my feelings. Um and it's the same with business, like starting a business is absolutely terrifying. Like it's exciting and <laughs> it's, it's amazing to watch it grow, but it's you know, terrifying. Um and it's a, it was a whole, it's sort of taken everything I knew, putting it in a whole different arena. And then there was so much and still so much I don't know. And, and again, like learning, being open to learning new things and, um, and helping have asking people to, you know, fill in the blanks where I don't know them. Um, That's
1: so huge with with running a business and it's,
3: yeah. Huge being open is the name of the game, Right. <laughs>
4: Absolutely.
1: Okay. So then we, uh, one other thing that we like to think about before we all have to part ways for the day is if we were going to have a meal together right now, which would be wonderful, what would we all bring? Hmm. Bobby, do you have
4: something in mind? Well, um, our friend brought some produce from their farm. And one of the things there was, was um, turnips and beets. And I can't get out of my head the concept of borscht right now like really wonderful beets and then a big dollop of sour cream so I think I'd like to bring some borscht
1: oh that sounds good Mm -hmm. borscht sounds delicious well in staying with kind of the Jewish uh food theme and things that we loved growing up I think I would and because it's kind of a chilly day today maybe some latkes like delicious Ah. latkes and like homemade applesauce yeah contribution
3: that would be really good um Okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to bring my baked mac and cheese. Oh, <laughs> yummy. Yes. Thank goodness. I was hoping goodness. you were going to say that. <laughs> <Woo>. <laughs> Thank goodness. That's um, amazing. I can bring that. Or like a, a kugel. That would be good too. Oh, Something like that. kugel
1: is good. Some kind of baked noodley dish. I love it. Mm. Yeah,
3: um, Erica, I just like
1: felt compelled to say also that you're such a special human because like in this life, so many people, and this is not a knock on anyone who does this because it is hard to run towards, but so many people run away and some people run towards and like it depends what that is and we all do that in different ways and some people run towards a burning building but away from their emotions you know what I mean but to be able to run towards people in like the hardest most emotionally intense time of their life and to like really want to take on all that and Bobby I could say the same for you and the work that you do you know with uh in, in being a grief and trauma therapist it's just so brave and it's really so kind and giving and yeah I just I appreciate that so much about you and just meeting you and it's just such a wonderful thing and it it really permeates you know like having people who are like that out there that really like do run towards people in the hardest times in their lives it it, it permeates and I think it goes forward so thank you for doing what you do and for spending time with us and talking about it and it's just so amazing
3: Thank you guys for having me. I'm so happy that we got to meet. Yes, and I hope we can too. meet again. Awesome. And I, and I yes.
4: also recognize your creativity and your openness as well as mm-hmm. running towards you know, all those things together and your warmth and all those things together, really, you know, Thank you. special person. And
1: before we go, can you just tell people where they can find you on the internet and any other information about Sparrow? So people who are interested can, can find you.
3: Yes, you can find us at www.sparrowny.com. And we are on Instagram at Sparrow Funerals. And I think we're on Facebook. Okay. So those places. But me, you know, online is probably the the best. Nice. Amazing. Well,
1: thank you so much again, Erica, for joining us. And uh, thank you for starting Sparrow. And we will talk to you soon.
3: Thank you guys, too. Have a good day. You too.
2: I'm Jimmy Carboni, host of Beer Sessions Radio on HRN. I recently hosted a live podcasting event with local beer and spirits makers from beautiful Somerset County, New Jersey. We spoke on the farm that is home to Flounder Brewery and Belmar Distillery, one of the most beautiful stops along the Sip and See Craft Beverage Trail.
0: To me, those two worlds, brewery and distillery, are extremely complementing businesses, especially in a unique location like this so it immediately helped this become a destination to have a great experience whether it's the beer atmosphere we've got going here on the old barns or the great experience you can have in there with these incredible cocktails that are created there it's complementary to each other you can have two completely different experiences all within a 10-foot walk from each other
2: before the event i was able to tour the area and see the historic bridge tenders house along the serene dnr canal walk the bike and hiking trails, and take in the lush farmland. Then we settled into the centuries-old Dutch barn-turned-brewery for a lively discussion.
0: It was always important for us to create our space, our livelihood that we want to share with everybody else, of being a community-centric location. It is what makes us a brewery in this state different from a barn or restaurant. Um, you know, they, We're obviously family-friendly here. Um, we have a lot of different groups that have their meetings here during the week. We just really want to become a community
2: hub. You can listen to this episode of Beer Sessions Radio, available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again to Somerset County Tourism for supporting this episode. Learn more about the Sip and See Passport Program at visitsomersetnj.org. That's visit S-O-M-E-R-S-E-T-N-J dot org.